0: The only constant in business is change. Welcome to Trends, Bends and Opportunities, the show that explores business ups, downs and possibilities. I'm Pat Lynch, and I'm a retired police supervisor. And now I teach and mentor real estate agents who are looking to stand out above the rest. My partner is Dr. Lauren Murfield. He's a former college professor who now works with business leaders, small and large, to do what they never thought possible together. We're Doc and the Cop, and we're here to help you think bigger, reach higher, and do what you never thought possible in order to deliver disruptive success for today's world. Let's go. Doc, you know I'm gonna say something just out of this world. Absolutely. Right. You're
1: kind of always in outer space anyway.
0: I, I mean, most of the time you're saying you're no rocket scientist. You're right. And you are right. But our guest today actually is. rocket scientist at least an engineer yes or
1: or an astronaut we'll we'll,
0: we'll have to ask her about that she is an astronaut
1: astronaut not not once but twice wow you know you know i can stand on my front lawn and watch the launches at kennedy space center i bet it's not the same as being inside you know i'll bet it's not at all (laughs) (laughs) that would be a holy crap yeah, that'd be a different, <laughs> different podcast different podcast yeah <laughs> segue
0: into our podcast for holy crap how'd they
1: do that but uh so our guest today is nicole stott who is a two-time astronaut on the space shuttle on the way to the space station and we'll hear more about what was she thinking <laughs> as she got into this Fascinating story. So welcome, Nicole.
2: Thank you. And I'm thinking we need to do another uh, time together with the Holy Crap podcast. The <laughs> There's a lot of opportunity there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it is. Uh, uh, so let's go back to how we started this thing. So are you considered a, a rocket scientist? Uh, no,
2: I don't. Okay. Con- well, no, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I got my start into all this as a, an engineer working at the Kennedy Space Center. And of course you, you got bombarded with a little bit of rocket science for sure. Um, but I don't think you could call me one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, well, I heard math was your forte, so. Uh, right, right. <laughs> I'm, unlike those of us here that can't count. Yeah. <laughs> I count to five on our breaks and it's uh, it's usually about two seconds. Even yeah. with- we, the-
2: we have to at least know 10, nine, eight, like in backwards <laughs>
1: You know, Nicole, having, I was over, I drove over and watched the space shuttle launch, probably the third to the last launch. Absolutely mesmerized, going back to childhood, being mesmerized by the Mercury, the Apollo launches and all this. So what prompted you to be an astronaut?
2: Well, I think, you know, trying to make the long story short, I, you know, I watched the moon landing um, with my family. I was about seven, six and a half, seven at the time. And I think even then you realize something like that is pretty extraordinary. But it was a long time before I actually considered astronaut at all. I think my whole life up until the point when I did, it was like, wow, that's something other special people get to do. But I grew up with a family that uh, my dad built and flew small airplanes out at Clearwater Air Park and you know hung out with flying people and got to fly myself, wanted to know how things fly, um discovered aeronautical engineering was the thing that helps you learn how things fly. And if I had known that the math was so hard, I might not have <laughs> it might not have gone that way. But um, yeah, and then that just as studying at school it was like Kennedy Space Center right down the road from my university. And, you know, if you want to know how airplanes fly, why would you not want to know how rocket ships fly? And then later got very fortunate when someone encouraged me to pick up the pen and fill out the application.
1: So. And it, just like that, you filled out the application and they said, we want you.
2: Yeah, they do that. That's exactly how it happens, right? Yeah. No, I you know, was very fortunate. The first time I filled out the application, I did get an interview, but they did not want me at the time. Um, however, they offered me a job at the Johnson Space Center uh, flying on the shuttle training aircraft, which was this really cool corporate jet that was modified to land as best you could, like the space shuttle, so training astronauts how to land the shuttle. And you know, for somebody who wanted to know how things fly and wants to fly, that I thought I it couldn't get any better. And then two years later I interviewed again and they I guess they
0: watched me for a couple of years. Yeah, that's funny. Part, that when they, they got yeah. my application, they actually called me and this is this is how the oh, we don't have our prop here. Where's our phone? This is what I heard on the other end of the phone. <laughs> so apparently I didn't get the job. <laughs>
2: They do have a humor like that, by the way,
0: yeah. <laughs> so um, was there, what kind of unique challenges are there in the application process, selection process, as, as a woman? Is it different?
2: Uh, no, absolutely not. And, you know, I always like to tell kids now, you know, the rocket ship doesn't care if you're a boy or girl. And thankfully, NASA doesn't seem to either. So that's, um, which is the way it should go. And having been on the other side of the table in my later career, I know that we look at everything anonymously too, right? So you get the the resume, the application, you review it completely without attribution to who the person is. And it's really cool how this mix of people just comes to you, right, As, uh, as applicants. But I'll tell you the most difficult thing for me with the application process was just figuring out that I was in total control of picking up the pen and filling out the application. I, I, I almost doubted myself out of the most extraordinary experience. And I'm thankful to mentors who encourage me to, to do that. And, I, and that's another thing I tell kids is, hey, um, and you know older students too, but it's that there are things we have control of and we need to, we need to recognize those and at least take those steps um, towards what we're looking at.
1: I love that whole idea because uh, that's my background is, is doubting myself so much. And people coming around saying, "Well, I never expected that you could do that." And, <laughs> and, and you know, and too often we doubt ourselves and we don't take the opportunities that are really out of this world opportunities. Oh, yeah. well, like like like
0: Nicole said, I mean, this this whole idea of almost passing up the opportunity, just the fear of what is, what do you think it's the fear of rejection? Or the fear I don't, of action. I
2: don't know if it's the fear of rejection. I think it's, you know, for me, I look at it like, why would they pick me? That's, the, I really, in my mind, thought that's what other special people get to do. You know, why would anything I've done, even though when you look at it, like what their requirements are and stuff, it kind of tracks right to it without even deliberately doing that. But I think, you know, there's another aspect to this, I think, and it's, it's part of the question you had about like the difficult part as a woman there, you know, there is no difference in the way the application goes and stuff. And, and I am not one who loves to stereotype. I don't like to stereotype anything, but I think women in general, and, and maybe you two can tell me if I am correct or not, because this is in contrast to men in general. I think women are looking, if they look at the criteria, they're like, they think they have to perfectly have satisfied every one of those criteria and more to be able to even fill out the application. Whereas I think men in general are like, oh, even if they haven't done it, they're thinking, "Oh, I could do that," and um, and and then they're more willing to take the chance to just put themselves out there, um, and yeah. So yeah, that's true. I,
1: I, I think generally speaking, <laughs> yeah. I I would agree with that, yeah. and I think yeah. a lot of that's the way we've been socialized. Yeah. Yeah. And and that risk-taking adventure, and uh, so when you got the. Did you get a call or did you get an email or a letter? How did they tell you you're in? And what- I got a, I got think? a phone call. <laughs> I, I thought it'd be more like a bat signal or something yeah, like yeah.
0: that. Yeah, like
2: <laughs> Well, there's kind of, there's like intel on how you're gonna get uh, the the call or you might get a postcard that says, thanks, but no thanks, kind of with the, the ha-ha, LOL down in the corner or whatever, like you were saying. But no, if the chief of the astronaut office calls and um, lets you know, and I remember that day I was already in Houston working as a flight engineer on the shuttle training aircraft out there. And uh, I had that morning gone and done my, or no, not yet. They called me and then I was going out to do my check ride for my instrument rating, my pilot's license instrument rating. And they told me on the phone when they let me know this. They're like, "Oh, you can't tell anybody yet. We've got to notify everyone first, and um, and then you know, then you can start telling
0: people." And I'm like,
2: "Oh my gosh, how do you not tell people this?" I'm like, "I'm telling my husband and my mom. I don't." Care. I guess yeah.
0: congratulations. Yeah. You just yeah. won a Grammy, but you can't yeah. tell anybody.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And I'm going out to fly with this guy, you know, to do this rating, and I have this like ginormous smile on my face the whole time. And he's like. Normally, people look worried (laughs) and a little hesitant, I'll tell you later, I'll tell you later. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So how many people applied and how many got in?
2: Well, it's always thousands of people. I think back, I was selected in 2000 and I think um, back then we had about 6,000 applicants then. And that's when you were still doing the paper application, you know? And then for our class, there were um, seventeen people selected.
0: And, and is there six thousand applicants? Are they? Is there like a vetting process to even get to that? Or that wouldn't include like me filling out an application, knowing um, that I don't have a snowball's chance.
2: I think at that point, that was the the like the total number. Like now, they get, you know, they'll get, you know, fifteen thousand or more applications because it's electronic and then there's a, i think the human resources department has an initial scan that they do that brings it down to whatever number but there are i mean there's a significant percentage that at least at a basic level qualify and have to be considered so it's quite the process to go through to you know weed it down to 10 17 20 whatever the number is going to be um, and and that's that's a challenge because there are a lot of really i mean It's a, I think it's a a challenging job too, but there are a lot of people that satisfy the requirements and could easily do this. Gotcha,
0: yeah, Yeah. it's still pretty challenging. When we get back from the break, um, let's talk about, um, systematic thinking. thinking. The thinking
1: thinking of an astronaut. Ah.
0: (laughs) When we come back. The world is changing rapidly and radically. Those who don't change fast enough or radically enough will be left behind. Take our opportunity challenge to find the best opportunities in the new normal. You will learn how to spot the trends that are crucial to your success and how you can bend your efforts to take every opportunity to grow your career to astounding levels. Go to TotalCareerGrowth.com today to secure your seat for this breakthrough program. Don't forget to like, follow, and share this podcast wherever you're tuned in. As As an engineer, there's a little, I, I have a, a future engineer living in my house. My, uh, mm-hmm. my stepson is uh, is going to graduate, let's hope, this year from uh, USF uh, uh, computer engineering. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, they teach you to think system in a systematic manner, right? I mean, that's how you work through problems. Um, how does working at or with NASA, for NASA, expand that kind of thinking?
2: Yeah, I think anybody that comes into the astronaut job has already been through that, either through their education or through the work that they're doing, you know, whether it's scientific method or systems engineering or integrated you know, test and verification of things. Uh, they've, they've already been there and done that. Um, and I think within NASA, what happens through astronaut training is you continue with that for sure. Um, and all that you're doing. And it's a lot like going back to school when you first get selected. You know, you're learning about all the systems on the space shuttle and the station, how they operate, how you interact with them, how you might fix them, you know, how to do spacewalks and fly robotic arms, and and, and then all the science that's going on uh, as well. But I think over over the top of all of that, and this should be true in every industry, I think, in one way or another, especially if you want to be successful doing challenging or complicated things, I think is, we are always working on how to be a better team, a better crew. How do we um, develop not just our leadership, but our followership skills, you Um, you know? How do we communicate in a more concise, clear way? And that's both with our crew members, but interacting with our ground control team and mission control you know and you're in places a lot of times where you're not looking each other in the eye right and so you're the, everything from the tone of your voice and the way the way you speak to each other it kind of drives out whether you're going to be successful or not with that person or those people and and that's a big part of what NASA is doing with us I think Earth.
0: that's a that's so true and we we're so busy doing the work that we don't take time to work on processes and things like that. Well, and it, it,
1: it's a relational it's, end of it being in communication. I, I totally agree. Um, but I want to go back to one question. Is during blast off, what are you thinking? <laughs> now, please, now, <laughs> please, please, please. I, please, I, please. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, you're trained as an engineer and I know everything is scientific, but then you got the team building and everything, but gotta be at that moment where uh, it's, either you're so well-trained that you become a robot or you're going to Howard Wallowitz thing. <laughs> they watch Big Bang Theory, they know that he's screaming like a baby. <laughs>
2: oh. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, you definitely don't go robot for sure. I mean, there are that that systematic kind of thing is there because, you know, as a crew member, you're responsible for monitoring the displays and the, you know, what's going on. Um on the space shuttle it's interesting because for the first minute and a half after launch there's not a whole lot the crew can do. You really are monitoring and you're communicating, you know, with the ground about what's going on, but there's not a whole lot of action you can take. And in hindsight, I think that's a really great thing because we're humans doing human spaceflight, right? And when you launch off of a launch pad with on the shuttle it was like 7 million pounds of exploding, you know, rocket thrust underneath you. That becomes a reality really quickly, you know. Like holy moly, <laughs> I, I am not on a launch pad anymore. You know, I'm going someplace. All you know is that you're going someplace really fast. You're shaken, like you never could imagine you'd shake, and and you ha- you're not going to scream like Wallowitz, but under your <laughs> breath you're kind of like going woohoo. You know, I mean, you have to do that. You're high in the person next to you. The smile is just ginormous on your face, and you are trusting, in one way or another, you are trusting the people, I mean, i worked at Kennedy Space Center for 10 years. Those people are like the heart and soul behind those spaceships. I mean, they believe the care and feeding of those spaceships is their responsibility. And they're doing everything humanly possible to make sure that it's going to be safe for you. And then we've done all this training that's about everything that we think we know can go wrong. And so I think you're, you're ready to deal with something if it happens um, within, again, the human possibility. Right. And I think that gives you a, it's, it is it's a sense of trust in so many ways. Yeah. And then you reach orbit eight and a half minutes later and you're like, how how all that force that got you out of Earth's gravity. And now you're and I always do that. It's like if you relax, your arms just kind of float up and the pencils floating up on the you know, string. And, you know, you can't wait to get out of your seat and mm. fly.
1: And so, what did you have to? We talk about trends, bends, and opportunities. How did you have to bend mentally, physically, to adapt to that weightlessness?
2: Yeah, and, you know, and there's there's not like that that zero gravity room down here that everybody hopes there would be. Um, so we do a lot. I mean, we do a lot of training to to try to get a sense of what it's physically going to be like. We talk to our you know colleagues who've been there before, but there's a lot of on the job training that goes along with that. And, you know, everybody from a physical stance, you know, whether it's feeling good or not reacts a little bit differently to getting to that environment. And so you just kind of go with it, but I think you're so ready to feel what it's going to be like that, that you just open yourself up to dealing with it. Um, you know, whatever it's going to be. And I'll tell you, I highly recommend it. It is the most liberating freeing thing to be able to just move in three dimensions and how our brains and our bodies like figure it out and how to do it. It's, it's incredible.
0: I might rethink my application. Yeah.
1: Well, you <laughs> get, once we make the money from the podcast, yeah. you yeah. can actually need but to go up. I can go, well, I can go up.
2: Okay. You can. Uh, well, that's you can. A, I a, want to cut. If you're making the, that kind of money off your podcast, I, I can.
1: <laughs> well, we will now that you're on, but right. Uh, so, What's your best memory from space?
2: Oh, you know, I, I both love and hate that question because it's so difficult. I think it's one of those things like it's an experience that just all kind of wraps up into one big, wonderful memory, you know, um, the, all of it, the way we just talked about what that feels like, that's so not earthly, right, you know, that floating, flying, you um, and certainly to be able to experience that with a crew, you know, with other people uh, in, in space and knowing you're doing work that is ultimately about improving life on earth. I mean, that's, that, that to me was the, the reason, you know, you don't just go there for the floaty fun adventure. It's, I mean, I, I do recommend that, but it's like, they, they got a ride. At
1: Disneyland.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like, how, do, how do you justify strapping yourself to something that's going to have 7 million pounds of, Explosive underneath you, if there's not some greater good coming from it, right?
0: Well, no, seriously, yeah. that's a that is, that whole process is a holy crap moment. Like, holy, yeah. how'd they do that? Ooh, you know, who's <laughs> really gonna do this? Yeah. 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 Well,
2: uh, and you know, I think again, it's like it's, and maybe we'll talk about this kind of thing a little bit later. But it's like believing there's a solution to every challenging problem. I think is a lot of what goes into it, too. But I'll tell you what, nothing in the end really tops that view out the window. Um, that, that's, you know, that, that holy crap, again, we could do it on the next book. I live on a planet, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that one thing we don't think of very often.
0: You're, you're one of the few people who can definitely confirm the uh, earth is round, right? I
2: can, and yes, <laughs> like, and, and hopefully we don't have to have that conversation.
0: <laughs>
1: it's Holy crap, somebody believes that, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. When we come back, let's talk about how they faked the moon landing. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no.
2: That's on my <laughs> list, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, let's take a quick break and let's unpack some, of, uh, some more stuff from space. Are you ready for growth? Check out TotalCareerGrowth.com. TotalCareerGrowth.com is your source for everything you need to grow your business in today's environment. Check out TotalCareerGrowth.com, your source for... Live, recorded, and virtual training. Check out TotalCareerBrook.com. Don't forget to like, follow, or share this podcast wherever you're tuned in. Okay, so I do have to ask you one question. (laughs) I'm
2: glad you guys are fun. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I am a firm believer that uh, conspiracy theories are conspiratorial.
1: Is that a word? Moving
0: on. How was the second mission different than the first?
2: Wow. In a couple of ways. I think um, when I went out to Launchpad, like we just described, I thought, Oh, been here, done this. And that it was, you know, that I, I, but let me tell you, it's like it's happening all over again for the first time. It's just such an impressive experience that um, I don't care how many times you do it. I bet it's that way. Um, The other thing is that, My second mission, while we went to the space station, was much shorter. My first flight was, you know, a little over three months on the station. My second flight was two weeks, and I can tell you they had to pull my clawing hands off the hatch (laughs) (laughs) to get me back in the shuttle to come home because it's (laughs) such a wonderful place. I mean, two weeks went by like a blur, and you want to be there. You want to... Stay there. Um, we were doing some of the final assembly work for the the space station, and had delivered a module that uh, we called it the floating closet, but it was like this permanent um, uh, module, logistics module that they ended up moving a lot of different
0: equipment into. But um,
2: too short, I would say the second mission.
0: <laughs> so were they making the <laughs> announcements like they do at the airport? Uh, Nicole spot. your your plane, your your ride is about to push back. <laughs> like,
2: Pretty much, my commander. It's so funny. There's actual video evidence of this because you know we do a little um, like goodbye ceremony with the station crew right at the hatch before crossing over to you know close it all out and then ultimately uh, undock and. All my crewmates are moving over and in. And of course the commander is the last to leave, right? Like on any, you know, any ship. And um, and he's floating over on the other side of the hatch and I'm here. And in the video, you actually see me moving back into towards, <laughs> in towards the space station. And he does this big like oh sweep of his arm, like, all right, Nicole, let's move, let's get, you know.
1: So can you confirm <laughs> that there's audio on the way back saying, just turn around. I want to go back. I want I know, to go back. I, know.
2: I left something. I, left something.
1: Hey, I left- Oh, my keys. Yeah, I left, <laughs> I left my keys. <laughs> or once you get back yeah. on the ground saying, you know, like the little kid that gets off a ride wants to go back yeah, on again. So again. Yeah, like- <laughs> yeah. I'll
2: tell you, you get down on the runway, it, it's really incredible. You know, we on dock and an hour later, we're on the ground. We've wow. landed. And it's just, I mean, the whole experience is surreal, but you get down on the runway and you're like, holy moly, an hour ago, I was in space on the space station. How, you know, how does this happen? Yeah.
1: Give me just a second. And, and so um, one of the things that I was absolutely fascinated about when I saw you was that you have a unique claim to fame if I got it right, that you were the first to paint watercolors in space. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. And at the time who knew, you know, I mean, really (laughs) who knew I I had just brought up this little watercolor kit at the encouragement of one of my ground support um, team, you know, because she's telling me, she goes, Nicole, you're going to be up there for months. You're not just going to be working there. You're going to be living there. So take, you know, take something with you that uh, you enjoy doing down here on earth. That worked out. I really, I, I, think about it like it was kind of putting the human in human spaceflight. You know, we're flying in space, and I think people think of us just working there all the time, which we are. But you know, you do all the human stuff that 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 you know we do down here as well. You know, you eat, you go to the bathroom, you you know, exercise, all of those things, and. Um, I don't know. I just think that painting in space was just a, a human thing. And that's been going on for a long time. Not, not maybe watercolors, but you know, other artistic and creative things.
0: That's, that's awesome. So what do you, uh, like flick the paint out and you move the, the canvas behind to catch it, or is it like playing catch or.
2: You know, that, that could be done. And, uh, and if I, if, if I get to go back or when, should I say when? There you go. When say I when to go back yeah, to I like, that. um, we'll try that. But, you know, I was pretty controlled about it. I um, used, you know, you can't dip your brush into a cup of water because there's no cups of water. So I, I dipped the tip of my brush into a little ball of water that I'd squirted out of my drink bag. And it was very cool to watch how everything behaved. You know, the water seemed to move over to the brush and then, you know, down to the color and dragging the colored ball of water along the paper. And, you know, there was like surface tension or some wacky magnetic thing or attractive force thing going on there and and then of course you can't float in front of the window and paint what you're seeing out the window because you know there's no plain air <laughs> painting in space because you know at five miles a second whatever you're looking at is going to be gone before you can get the brush and the
0: paper but stand still <laughs>
1: yeah. hang on, hang on.
0: <laughs> yeah definitely have to paint from menu- memory huh
1: yeah i took a picture printed it out on scrap paper and use that. So what other type of artistic things did astronauts do before and after you?
2: Well, I mean, it started from the very beginning, and, and I will encourage the local Tampa Bay people, you know, just to get over to Mosey if you can, because there's some of that art is there. The um, from the earliest cosmonauts, Alexei Leonov brought, you know, he wanted to be an artist before he wanted to be an astronaut, and that kind of gave him his pathway to being an artist later. He brought up colored pencils and sketched um, orbital sunrises. And then on the, you know, that historic Apollo Soyuz mission, he did pencil portraits of all of the crewmates, you know, on on that mission. Um, There's been musical instruments up there from the very beginning, you know, guitars, keyboards. On the station right now, there's a guitar, a keyboard, a flute. Um, One of my friends brought up a, like a small compact set of bagpipes and, and played Um, my friend, Karen Nyberg, she sewed and quilted while she was there. People have written poetry. You know, if you weren't a photographer before you got there, you become one just because you want to capture, you know, that, you know, not just in your heart and in your mind, but you want to, you know, bring it home with you to share and remember. So yeah, all kinds of artistic stuff going on up there.
1: That, that's just uh, absolutely fascinating. One, one question I know that we need to get into, and maybe we we'll want to take a break before we get into this last question, about um, how you're working to increase the trend of women in school.
0: Be sure to like, follow, and share us wherever you're tuned in today.
1: Nicole, I know the women in space, women in science and engineering and all that, that's really important to you. What are you doing as you go out to speak? I know you're talking about the art, which is absolutely fascinating, but what are you doing to get the girls into the sciences?
2: Well, I think the the main thing is just to be present. You know, to be out there speaking to young women and and young men alike, but I mean, just pulling, you know, pulling the messaging together in a way where, you know, especially for young girls, they see someone that looks a little like them, you know, a lot older, but, you know, (laughs) at least they can relate to, you know, understand that, you know, these kinds of things that when you're young, you might dream about, but think like I did, you know, but think are not possible. For whatever reason, even if somebody doesn't tell you that, um, it's, it's so helpful to have just somebody that kind of looks like you um, showing that you can. And when they see an old lady like me come out and, you know, show pictures of doing a spacewalk and flying in space and working, you know, with international partners around the world doing this really cool stuff, they, I think they understand that, you know, if, if I could do it, then then it could be possible for them.
1: That's that's amazing. I like that. I like that perspective. Well, you know, Pat, I, this has been phenomenal, but we're not done yet because we got to do a challenge. I
0: think it'd be nice if the challenge came from absolutely Nicole. I mean, if, <laughs> any, if anybody can challenge <laughs> oh, did us, did we tell her that we were going to do this?
1: Well, yeah, I think she'll know. No. I mean, she'll go to space. <laughs> no, Spain. you did yes, not. Sir. She's almost
0: a rocket scientist. Come
2: There's on. always a challenge, right?
1: <laughs> you go to the go to the space station twice and what's the guy says you're almost a rocket scientist <laughs> <laughs> well she said she wasn't so there um, anyway
0: <laughs> nicole i was a cop for 22 years everything you say I can, can and will be, and will be. Yes.
1: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, we always end our our podcast with a challenge which has been my theme for some years which is to think bigger reach higher and do the impossible let's break that down to three parts how what would you tell our audience how would you tell them to think bigger
2: wow i think you know i when i think about a question like that i it makes me come back to you know the experience of flying in space but from maybe a little bit of a different perspective where there's so much of what we think about in, in space, getting there, living there, coming home safely, the science, the relationships, that's so complex, right? Like almost unimaginably complex. But then to me, you know, I think I what I really brought home from that and how I think it, it can be just underlie how we think bigger or, or, you know, about everything is that the simplicity in it is that, I mean, what I saw and learned was that, like we talked about before, like, holy moly, I live on a planet. (laughs) You know, we are all earthlings. Only border that matters is the thin blue line of atmosphere that's blanketing and protecting us all. And that is, I mean, there's no better common ground than all of that. And I think, you know, what allows us to think bigger and to do better for ourselves is to consider things like that, where we have something in common. And those three things are with me every day of my life now. Um, with every decision. And so I, I, I want other people to find their way to those those three
0: things as well.
1: How can they reach higher? Is there a specific thing you would challenge them to do to reach higher than what?
0: They, well, they, they could apply and get a job to
1: go on a space mission because that would be <laughs> higher. As long as you're one of 17 out of 6,000.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be because of that. I mean, look at me. <laughs> so um, I, I think that that's... Um, That's kind of the out of your comfort zone thing, right? Um, And you know, we do just—it's like with the space program. You know, we believe we can solve these challenging problems. We go in with that attitude, and that I think opens up more opportunities, opens up more possible solutions. And um, I think we need to do that in our own lives. You know, we need to to believe that things are possible. And kind of, you know, it's kind of like the see it, be it thing, and you know, work that way, um, and and it, it puts you in places like I, I mean I I'm here chatting with you gentlemen today, you know, who knew that could ever happen, and um, and talking about stuff that I think is really you know positive and encouraging for everyone.
1: And the the last phrase that we use is to do what others think is impossible. I, I know I I enjoy doing that doing what other people didn't think I could do, doing what I didn't think I could do. How would you challenge them to reach so much higher that they're doing what they never thought possible?
2: Yeah, and I think that second half of it is where I, I was mostly challenged in that, wow, I, you know, even with nobody telling me I couldn't do something, I had somehow put in my own mind that, oh, I, I shouldn't fill out that application. Why would they ever pick me kind of thing? And I think the thing that, you know, opened up this new world for me um, and what I would encourage for other people is to reach out, you know, reach out to the people that surround you that you think of as mentors or have experienced what you, you know, what you're capable of in other ways and, and speak to them because it's likely that they see a lot more in you than you do yourself and they'll help bring that out of you and yeah i'm i'm very thankful for that in my life
1: do you have a favorite quote that you that that encapsules notice that word encapsules wow absolutely yes. uh, wow. this whole experience for you
2: um i i think i do and it's it's one that uh was brought to light for me with one of those mentors actually that encouraged me to pick up the pen Uh, A gentleman named Jay Honeycutt, who very involved with the Apollo program, all of, um, you know, historical NASA stuff. But he was one of my first bosses at the Kennedy Space Center. And he came in and we were a whole, a young group of new engineers working on the space shuttle program after, you know, return to flight after Challenger. And um, he brought with him this, this quote, this motto, which is, and I got it on my desk. I always keep it here for the little for the children's but we'll share it today. Let's see if I can get it up here. With my little astronaut and the light is bad. But it's basically here's how we can not why we can't. Wow. And I mean, it's again, it's so simple. And yet, it applies to everything applies to just like the three lessons of planet earthling thin blue line, it applies to say that one more
1: time for us.
2: Here's how we can not why we can't
0: we should have been using that all along but that's actually <laughs> the essence of this show right <laughs> the trends and opportunities yeah the show started yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic and people were treating it like a snow day and we were trying to figure out a way to connect with people and stay connected and 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 to talk with people who were out doing things yeah. and not sitting at home waiting for the snow to clear because here we are 8 months later and the snow it's still snowing right in fact mm-hmm. it, we're we're about to go into a blizzard well, we insane.
1: weren't denying reality either right, right? we we but, weren't minimizing the pandemic but saying wait a minute there's still there's
0: still opportunities, opportunities. it's it's not why can't we you know it's what can, how can we take advantage of the opportunity the time uh, so this has been great time flew by it,
1: absolutely i mean <laughs> not as fast as the space shuttle but but pretty darn close <laughs> Well, and Nicole, I look forward to you joining John Glenn, as as one of those people in their later years that actually go up in space. And because uh, I, I know you'll I'm up.
2: counting on it. I'm counting maybe, on it.
0: Maybe you can take us both on a tour someday. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, we'll go to Moonbase Moonbase Alpha or whatever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, th- thanks again, Nicole. This has been great. Uh, wish wish you well. And uh, uh, thanks. Thanks once again.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for including me.
0: You can connect with us directly at totalcareergrowth.com. That's totalcareergrowth.com.